yeah, I'm completely terrified because I've never run 100 miles before and the other women running are incredibly strong. But I, of course, want to put my best foot forward and really compete in the race. But no matter what happens, just I feel like getting to the starting line is huge. And then just getting to the finish line is huge. And hopefully that process in between goes very well. But I am just truly honored to be able to be there. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. We are proud to share that this episode is sponsored by our friends over at Puma. Here at For the Long Run Podcast, we're fans of Puma and have been really impressed with their efforts to support and foster the running community. We're excited to partner with a brand that has such a rich history in sports and that cares deeply about the running community. Puma believes that sometimes all it takes is a spark to make a change, to get motivated, or to try something new or hard. And we couldn't agree more. All we need is that small spark and the actions will follow to get us there. With that small flicker, anything is possible. Puma Running Shoes offers supreme cushioning, superior propulsion, comfort, and lightweight technology. I've been running in the DV8 Nitro first mile, and I love how it has a focus on sustainability. The shoe feels amazing, and even better, it's in collaboration with First Mile. It's made from at least 20% recycled material, as First Mile's focus is on cutting down plastic waste in production and in the supply chain by finding innovative ways to get recycled plastic into products like Puma Running Shoes. Check out a pair for yourself at puma.com and use the code for the long run for 20% off any Puma Runner Train products. When you support Puma, you support me and the rest of the For the Long Run podcast team. Thanks again to Puma for sponsoring us. As a New Englander, I'm always excited to see brands from the area who are doing good in the world and doing good for our running community. That's why we're thrilled to say that this episode is sponsored by Darn Tough, started, manufactured, and headquartered in Vermont. And they're still family-owned, bringing us awesome socks to keep our feet feeling warm and dry. You may know of Darn Tough for their durability and warmth, but did you know that they have a whole line of running socks to keep you staying dry and comfortable for the long run? Darn Tough's running socks are incredibly durable, especially in high wear areas. They're made with breathable mesh, are ultra lightweight, and they're incredibly comfortable. You might be thinking, aren't their socks made of wool? Won't that be too hot on my feet? Well, it turns out that Merino wool socks are perfect for keeping your feet at the ideal temperature and dry, regardless if you're running in cold or hot weather. In fancy words, wool helps with thermoregulation. I've been a fan of and running in darn tough socks for years now, and we're stoked to work with them to bring great gear to you too. Get a pair of your own at the link in the show notes and be sure to use the code FTLR-BESTSOCK10 for 10% off. We are proud to announce the newest sponsor of the podcast, Scratch Labs. Scratch Labs is a local Boulder-based sports nutrition brand known not just for their awesome sports nutrition products, but for their love of science and the community. I'll share a bit more about their products and how I use them. But for now, thank you to Scratch for supporting the podcast. Scratch will be a partner of the podcast this summer. And as always, supporting the brands that support the podcast helps to keep this machine rolling. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off all Scratch products through their website via the link in the show notes. All right, so we're here with Meg Morgan, ahead of Western States. Uh, Meg, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. 
Thanks for having me, John. Super excited to be here. Excited to finally meet you in person. Of course. We, we decided to take two people from Needham and go 2,000 <laughs> miles west and have a podcast recording. Exactly. <laughs> so what a small world that we grew up in the same town and now we live in the same town, 2,000 miles uh, away. I know. That's hilarious. Did you, do you go back often? Um, I, I've been back five times this year. Not to Needham, but to the, to the East Coast. Boston area. Yeah. yeah. How about yeah. you? Um, I probably go back a couple times a year now, mostly for holidays, but I actually was just in Montauk yesterday uh, for Cousin's wedding. Nice. But I don't go back too often anymore. But every time I think about the bagels back there, that makes me want to go back. <laughs> there are some things that, that Colorado just doesn't have and the bagels. The bagels. <laughs> However, um, wood grain bagels are pretty decent. They're not big enough though. They're, like they got yeah. the taste, but I need them to be larger. That's true. So Meg Morgan, bagel connoisseur. How else do you describe yourself? Oh boy, big question. Um, I I guess work-wise, I work in climate finance at the Rocky Mountain Institute here in um, Boulder. And I have been a lifelong runner. I started running when I was 10 years old and have had an ever-evolving relationship with running since then. It went from running in school to being kind of a hobby jogger, to being a road runner, to now being an ultra trail runner. Um, I'm also a climber and a skier um, and just love to live life to its fullest extent. I don't, you don't really find me sitting down too often. <laughs> so we got you lucky today. We're strapped sitting, down. Yeah, sitting, <laughs> not strapped down, but <laughs> uh, we, are, we are sitting down um, and we're sitting down ahead of a big race coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I actually just last night watched Unbreakable for the first time and I'm like extra pumped for it. I've been listening to the soundtrack all day too. Nice. Okay. So Western States is a race that some people wait or are forced to wait 20 plus years prior to getting in. What is it like for you knowing that it's coming up in a couple of weeks or, and at the time that this gets released, it's actually tomorrow. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so scary. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so surreal getting, when I first got into the sport, I immediately became a huge ultra trail nerd as one does. Um, and so learned about this race, listened to podcasts of past winners and just went full into obsessive mode of how do I get into this race? How can I make myself a runner in contention in this race? And it is just a, a wild feeling to actually be lining up pretty soon. And especially just over the last couple of months, like getting a ticket four months ago. And then that kind of four month waiting period is just like, it's building and building yeah, yeah. and building. And now it's, it's finally here. Like I just did my last long run this morning and now we're going to taper down and yeah, it's exciting. It's going to be such a odd feeling being in the dark at the starting line. being like, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. So Megan Rose is your coach, which mm -hmm. means that races are just small blips in the overall process. And at the same time, this one is a super exciting one. So how has she or has she needed to help keep you grounded in the longer term, like next five, 10, 20 years of you as a runner versus like the excitement of the race that's coming up later this month or tomorrow, if you're listening to it on the day of release? Yeah, that's something that Megan's been really helpful with is ensuring my longevity in the sport. I get pretty excited when it comes to running. I really love logging long miles. I love long days out. Um, I, like I said, I hate sitting down. I hate resting even when it comes to, you know, even if I finish my run, I might go out and scramble or climb the rest of the day. So she's been really helpful and tell me when, when that stuff is okay. And when, if I, you know, if I'm really prioritizing a race, that's as important as this one, when I should tone those things down. And I've learned to be 
more more honest with her about actually what's happening with my body and how runs are feeling so that we can properly prepare yeah. for this race coming up. Like um, during training camp weekend, the first day I was really tired. I have no idea why I kind of did a lower week the week before, but just the climbs were really beating me up and I was having trouble breathing. And so we, we talked about that and then we toned down the following week. And I just think of myself as an athlete, maybe a couple months ago, I maybe wouldn't have been honest with her about that because I would have wanted to log those high miles. But I know that we both have the same goal of how we want this race to go. And so we have to communicate clearly to make sure that the formula is going to work right for my body. That makes sense. Okay, before we dive more into the trail and ultra side of things, let's rewind a few years. Do you remember your first run? Was it back at DeFazio running around the track or, or the the soccer fields out there? It was actually probably right before that. So did you go to Pollard Middle yeah. School? Okay, so you had those fitness tests. Yep. So my sister was a year above me. So I heard that these were coming and the competitive person that I am when I was in fifth grade, I was like, I have to start training for this. <laughs> so my first run was actually um, at my grandma's house with my mom. Um, she goes out for a 5K loop most days. And I was like, all right, I'm going to run with you today, mom. It was like the summer before sixth grade. Um, and I think we ran a mile together and then walked, jogged the last two miles back to the house. And then after that, yeah, it was those mile tests around DeFazio. <laughs> it's crazy how far we've come during those mile tests. I would like pretend to throw up so that I wouldn't have <laughs> to finish. I was like, oh, I worked so hard. I'm done now. Um, I know you're choosing to run. <laughs> and now I'm choosing to run. Yeah, exactly. Full circle. If only my middle school gym teachers were, <laughs> were listening. Um, okay, so you have you started by doing 5Ks with your mom or mile and two mile run walk turned into the the mile turned into more. What did that evolution look like? And the reason I ask is a lot of people that listen to this podcast are in the half marathon, marathon range with curiosity of the longer stuff. And then there are plenty of people who are listening who run trail and ultra. And I sit right in the middle of that, of like, I'm interested in both and want to do both and am curious about the stepping up in distance. So, okay, starting with, 5k as a fifth grader to where you are today what did that what did that journey look like yeah i i know it probably seems like a my entrance into the ultra world was abrupt as i maybe have seen like i've only been doing it for the last couple of years but yeah when you think about that it actually started in fifth grade it's actually been quite a long process and a long gradual build up to those distances so i did middle school cross country at the on the Pollard team um, and did cross country in high Shout school. Out to the Needham Rockets. Yep, yep. We had these like great yellow singlets that we'd wear that were great looks. Um, and I ran in high school. I ran cross country. I had a really great coach who was really supportive and kind and made a, a really positive environment, which now hearing a lot of my peers' stories, I'm so, so grateful I had that environment because although high school cross country was a stressful time for me. It was something that that stress was self-induced. So I took the time in college to just run on my own, to not run with a watch. I didn't run with a watch for like five or so years um, to fall back in love with the sport. But I, I did have a positive team experience um, in my high school team. And then um, before I left for college, I really wanted to run the Boston Marathon as like a like an ode to my home in Boston before I go off to school. So I ran the Boston Marathon my senior year of high school. 
And I joked that I really wanted to have a bad time because I didn't want to do one ever again. But I had the best day ever. Like truly to this day, it was one of my favorite days. I ran for a charity and that was a really positive experience. They had a really great team and it was just a really fun way to see all my friends in one day. And I took it very chill because I, I didn't care about my time. I just wanted to see if I could do this distance and was just absolutely fell in love with it and fell in love with the huge crowds of Boston. So after that, chased a bunch of the other big marathons because there's something, and I know you've done a bunch of big marathons, something so fun about having all these crowds on the streets. It's just just constant energy. And I, I always say that I pretend it's like everyone coming to like see me in concert. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's so fun. So my biggest tip for people who run big road marathons is to put your name on the bib because, mm-hmm. or on your arm or whatever, because it's like you don't know you need that energy until you need that energy. And to be able to draw from the crowd of like cheering your name is so cool. A hundred percent. My mom told me that before my first one. And so the night or the morning of Boston, she's has a Sharpie and she's going at my arm and then she goes, oh no. I was like, what? She's like, I spelled your name wrong. My mother, my own mother spelled <laughs> my name wrong. I, I have an H in my name. So she just wrote like a little H on the corner. <laughs> she, she jokes out like she was more nervous than I was. Um, but yeah, then it just went from kind of doing hobby marathons. And then after college, I decided I was ready to, you know, strap the watch back on and see if I wanted to try being faster. Um, and so I started training more intentionally after college and then COVID hit. And I think that was really what allowed me to train longer miles as I had these weekends where I had absolutely nothing to do, no obligations. And so I would just run all day and do back-to-back long runs. And then it started to feel really good and became the norm. Those first few weeks and months of 2020 were um, awful and great in some ways, um, pending your circumstance. And I went to the Cape. I was living with my parents, and it was like, like I was, um, I'd run in the morning and bike in the afternoon. It was mm-hmm. like camp. Meanwhile, Kate, you just met my girlfriend, was you know in an ICU, <laughs> like oh working as a nurse. And yeah. so it's like the the juxtaposition of like we get to just play versus everything else is just like it's just wild. But anyway, for those who are able to take advantage of like not a lot going on. Like I was logging like 18 hour training weeks. And um, I was like, what am I doing? Like not training for anything, but I was just having so much fun um, doing like 18 to 20 hours between running and biking. And yeah. And like, I noticed too, because there weren't any social obligations, I was getting so much sleep. And yeah. so that actually allowed me to yeah. put in those huge miles. So when did you link up with Megan? I reached out to the Roaches. Megan squared. Yeah, yeah. Um, I reached out to the Roaches January of 2022. So it was right after I ran Bandera 100K. Um, that race was definitely a, a shock to the system in the sense that it was the most competitive race I've ever done. I was really the first competitive ultra I'd done. And I was also dealing with some kind of strange heart issues at the time. So I realized it was probably a, a good time to reach out to a coach if I wanted to do this sustainably at a, at a high level yeah. and make sure that the heart stuff wasn't connected to maybe overtraining and got connected with them. And David was like, I think you'd be a really good match with Megan. I I'd heard really good things about their training philosophy. I was doing a lot of research and in sense of my research was more looking at podiums of big races and then looking into who was coaching those people. It was like and all the roaches. It was all the roaches. I was like, well, I can't not <laughs> reach out to the roaches. Right. Um, yeah, and it's been a really great year and a half now. One of the things you said a few minutes ago was 
you were ready to put the watch back on and refine your love of running. Can you talk about that gap and what happened there and, and sort of how you, how you found that mojo again? Yeah. So that was a very interesting time in my relationship with running as running was always something that relieved stress for me. And that in high school, I found myself buying so heavily into it and focusing so much on my performance that it became an anxiety inducer. And that was a real bummer to have something that usually brings you up in your day to being the thing that you just are thinking about all day. You're not paying attention in class because you're just dreading this workout coming or dreading this meet that you have over the weekend. And I, I think I thought when I went to high school that I'd want to run in college. And after my sophomore year, I realized that would be a terrible idea for, for me personally. I would just wasn't enjoying the sport of cross country. I would have this like horrible, I'm sure other people know that feeling of like cramping in your stomach on the starting line yeah. when you're so incredibly nervous. Um, so I didn't, I didn't want that, but I knew that running was still something that was so important to me. And it was something that I'd been so beneficial for my mental state for so many years. So I found that taking off the watch after after the high school season ended, so after senior year, and then just running for fun, running how I feel, I would, you know, map things out on my computer beforehand and then just go for it. I I found that was incredibly beneficial. And I also I ran alone for all most of college too. And I think that was great for me. One, because it allowed me to really find this meditative relationship with running, but also I, there was no one for me to compare myself yeah. to. It was just how does my body feel today? How, what do I feel like doing? It's so interesting. So what you said about the, um, you do running, you run because we run because we love it. And when it's in a place where it's creating stress versus relieving stress, that's a time to pull back or evaluate or speak with a coach or your coach. And so I went, I just went through that. February and March of this year where like so many things came to a head and I was like running is creating the stress that it's supposed to be relieving. And so, yeah, I I took the watch off. I stopped running period and then reintroduced it basically just whenever I wanted to versus feeling obligated to do it. And it's like so fun to get back to a place where like I look forward to it again. And um, if someone's listening to this and they've never experienced that, kudos to you. That's awesome. Um, But if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, I'm like really stressed about this upcoming race, or I'm really stressed about getting out the door on a regular basis, you don't have to do that. Nobody's forcing you to do it. And so many of us run because it's like, it brings us joy and allows us to adventure. And I wanted to protect that feeling at all costs. It sounds like it was a similar thing for you. And so for me, the easiest way to protect that was to stop and reassess and then figure out how to reintroduce. And I'm going to chat with David about the reintroduction process um, tomorrow. And it's just like, it's so counterintuitive that sometimes the best thing for you to progress is to stop. And so I look at it as the metaphor of like, like a bow and arrow, like pull back to spring forward or a Yeah, you can't be peaking all the time. You need to take time to rest. And especially I think if you aren't racing often, races can be helpful in that sense because they cause you to rest afterwards. There's an actual, you know, written mark in the calendar when you're going to rest. But if you're just running without anything on the calendar, you don't necessarily remember to do that. Yeah. 
yes, and even if you are racing, I think so many of us race a lot in that you're, I mean, if you look at the regular calendar of, of a road runner, they're doing like two, three, four marathons a year now. And the pros are barely doing two. And then trail running, it's like four to eight races a summer. I used to go to um, North Face 50, which was originally, it was the first weekend of December in San Francisco. And it was a hugely competitive race. It was a 50 mile race. And it was basically like whoever was still not broken that season would show up and like throw down some really fast um, racing. And sadly, that series ended, I think, in 2019 or 2018. But anyway, it was just like a war of attrition to get to the start line because it was like a December 5th race. Um, And these seasons are so long. And so it's cool to see the vibe changing a little bit in favor of Racing less. Racing less, long-term, longevity. longevity. Yeah. And it sounds like you're a fan of that early on. Yeah. And I I definitely had maybe a a blip in that last year um, when I was was getting really excited about these competitive races and I think bit off more than I could chew because at the same time I signed up for Bandera, I also signed up for Canyons because I was like, oh, if Bandera doesn't go well, I want something else. months apart. Yeah. Um, And I found myself really broken after Bandera, really mentally and physically. I'd also done the CIM marathon a month before Bandera. So it was, it was a lot. And, but I had this race that I had paid money for. I told people I was doing it. It was on the calendar. And so I felt obligated to do it. And it was a really complicated time in my relationship with myself and with running, because when I had first gotten into ultras, I'd promised myself that I was only going to do this as long as I loved it because it is such a taxing sport. And it's it's kind of crazy to go out and run 50 miles or 90 miles a week. And it can really put some damage on your body. And so I want to make sure that I have a healthy relationship with it. But those couple months in between those races, I was very blatantly going against that. And it and I'm not proud of it. Like, sure, I think there's positives to... I still race canyons and I I got a lot of positive things out of it, even though it wasn't a great performance. But I'm not proud of myself for pushing myself through that. I think I should have rested. But I know that now I know what that feeling is like. And that's also why I, I don't have anything on the calendar for after Western. I want to give myself yeah. the time to mentally and physically recover afterwards. I think some of this stuff, like you ha- just have to learn it, right? Like, yeah which is odd to say into a microphone that people are going to listen to what we're saying, but like, just figure it out. Just figure it out. Yeah. Um, but some of it is like, you either have to hear it enough times to finally believe it or just like live in the suck sometimes. And both strategies work. And one is a little more forceful than the other, I guess. So heading into Western States this year, what has surprised you about how you're approaching it from a mental perspective? Oh, that's a good question. Um, maybe, and this is this is a, a good surprise, is that I feel like before every race, I have a period where I'm like, oh, I don't want to be doing this. This is crazy. This is, I kind of wish I wasn't training for anything. Something, you know, somewhere around your peak weeks where you're really tired. And I have not gotten that at all. And I think it's just because it's such a historic event and something that's been on my mind for so long. And I just feel honored to be able to do it. So it's just pure excitement. And yeah, I'm completely terrified because I've never run a hundred miles before. And the 
other women running are incredibly strong, but I of course want to put my best foot forward and really compete in the race. But no matter what happens, just, I feel like getting to the starting line is huge. And then just getting to the finish line is huge. And hopefully that process in between goes very well. Yeah. But I am just truly honored to be able to be there. So a few weeks ago, um, Hayden Hawk sat in that seat you're in and I asked a similar question, um, which was a follow-up of a question that I asked him on a run a few months ago now, where on the run I asked him, why do you want to win Western States so bad? And he gave me like a half-hearted answer. Not a half-hearted answer. It was a whole-hearted answer. But I was like, but there's like, there's more to it than there's got to be more to it than that. Um, by the way, the episode I did with Hayden is out the week before this episode releases. So if you're listening to this, listen to that one afterwards. Um, and so I asked him again on the run and he was like, he texted me the next morning. He's like, man, I've been thinking about that question ever since you asked it. Thanks. I was like, can we talk about this sometime on, on the podcast? And so it was, it's fun to hear why people do these really, really hard things. And the answer that he gave was how I envisioned that I would answer such a question about like, why do I want to do something so badly? Why did I chase breaking three hours in the marathon? Why have I chased BQing so hard? And it's like this event that got, got him into the sport or got him into the community. And it's just like, it's what, it's exactly what you said about running from Hopkinton to Boston. Like you saw all your friends in one day mm -hmm. and you probably saw them once, maybe twice along the course. But with Western States, you can see them like five or six Multiple times. times. <laughs> I remember the first time that I, I spectated Western States. I remember seeing Casey Licktag like four times. And I saw her like 20 miles apart each time. And it was like a different, a different Casey each time. Yeah, you see her all sides of her. And I don't know. Day. Yeah, and I don't remember why it was like so vividly. I remember her in such different phases of of the race but i guess she's like such a happy-go-lucky person and she was that at one of the times and then she was just like holy shit this i'm in it right now mm -hmm. um i'm like getting the chills thinking about going through a day like that and then have you seen life in a day i have okay so that's like essential viewing prior to yep. <laughs> western yep. states <laughs> uh, but that's like the epitome of it right like you can you can experience a full lifetime of emotions in the hundred miles. Yeah. And I'm trying to remind myself about that. And that's something that I've been consciously working on for the last few months, because I feel like as a runner, the, the more you run and the more you do this longer distance stuff, the, the more you understand when you're mentally going to, to bonk and what that's going to feel like and start to think about ways to address it. And so I know the first 15 miles of a race, I, that's usually really hard for me. And I, I'm like, why am I here? I don't want to be doing this. I could just drop out any second. No one would care. Everyone would still love me. Um, and now that I know that that's coming, I've found ways to kind of just allow that to be there and just to know that it doesn't have to affect my whole race. But with this 100 miler coming up, I know that that's might come in places where I don't necessarily expect it because I haven't done this distance. So just thinking about what, how I'm going to digest that mentally and move through it. And it's funny, I was talking about this with a few friends last night is anytime we have a bad run, it's still not a bad run because you're like, oh, well, this is ultra training. Yeah. So it's it's going to be put in the bank in some capacity anyway. 
Um, I felt the same way about CIM. I puked for 12 miles of CIM. I was like, that's ultra training. Yeah, you're like, well, now I can do an ultra. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Um, So yeah, just being ready for what's going to happen there. But and, and just constantly, I I actually was listening to on my flight yesterday, just like going through my liked songs and one of my favorite Modest Mouse albums came up and it was, it's called Making Nothing Out of Something. And I was like, wow, what a good ultra mantra is it's like the one time where you have all these kind of negative triggers coming at you, but just make nothing of it. Like just don't address them or just or don't not address them, um, <laughs> but don't necessarily let them take your whole race down and just take them with a grain of salt and keep moving forward just one step in front of the other. So it's nice to say that when you're sitting here in Boulder <laughs> in on a podcast. Um, by the way, you said this is your first live podcast. Yeah. You're doing great. This is amazing. Um, you wouldn't know it. Um, okay, it's another to do it like in practice. So how do you, you know. <laughs> how do you take how do you take what you're saying right now and like actually do it? And the reason I ask is um, a while back, Peter Bromka had a little Twitter thread about his request for podcasters and it was to ask harder questions and like ask for examples of, okay, you said this and it's like this esoteric thing and it sounds nice, but like if someone's listening, how did they take that and internalize that and, and make it useful for them? And I'm also sitting here like, okay, I'd like to do the same thing too. Like when presented with something new and hard, like how do you envision yourself executing on what you just said? Yeah, I think first taking the practical steps to address things. For example, if it's something physical, if there's something wrong with my feet to actually physically change shoes or um, maybe put on chafing cream or maybe I realize I need to adjust how I'm eating if something's not settling in my stomach right or maybe I'm not getting enough calories in. But if it's something that is purely mental, I think just calming my heart rate, taking really slow, deep breaths and not allowing myself to go through that mental spiral, which I have been sometimes I I do pretty often in races. Um, And I think that is just like keeping it calm. And then I know this sounds simple, but it, it does work for me. It's just bringing yourself back to why you're there and why you lined up in the first place and thinking about like bringing myself back to this chair right now and thinking about why was I so excited at that point and trying to channel that energy back. And it was the reason I fell in love with running trails in the first place is that similar to seeing all my friends in one day, I realized this is a sport where you get to be outside all day, you get to run all day, you get to eat all day, and you get to socialize all day. Those are my four favorite things. (laughs) And just like remembering that you get to do that right now. And Sure, maybe it's like you're doing it for a couple hours longer than you want to, but it's such an honor to be able to be doing that. So reminding myself about that, bring yourself back to really positive runs that you have with friends. And I guess another more physical way to solve the problems um, is I like to talk to people during races. I find that is a huge mood booster for me and really turns races around. So finding people throughout the course and asking them about how their race is going um, asking them where they're from, taking both of your minds off of the race a little bit. I find that so helpful. And it's also just really nice to come out of a race with a bunch of new friends. <laughs> and it's an easy one to do it. Yep. Did you know we're on YouTube? We're posting quick clips of the top takeaways from each episode. Now through June 19th, subscribe to our channel to enter to win a year's worth of Puma shoes. All subscribers are entered to win automatically. Head to youtube.com slash at for the long run podcast and subscribe. 
yes, you do need to include the at symbol. This episode of For the Long Run podcast is sponsored by Puma. For 75 years, Puma has been pushing sports and culture forward with innovative design and development. We are honored to have Puma supporting this show and supporting the running community at large. My greatest compliment for running shoe is, I didn't think about it once. The purpose of having the right gear is to enable you to do anything you want out there. When I'm running in Puma's Deviate Nitro first mile, all I'm thinking about is literally anything else. I think about the community, I think about why trying hard things is so rewarding, I think about how cute Alfie is, and I think about how much I love tacos, and I think about the big things like how I want to leave each place I inhabit better than I found it. You know what I'm not thinking about? What's on my feet. And that's the best thing about Puma running shoes. They're designed to help you get out there effortlessly so you don't have to worry about what's on your feet. Just need to worry about putting one foot in front of the other. Check out a pair for yourself at puma.com and use the code for the long run, all one word, for 20% off. Again, when you support Puma, you're supporting me and the rest of the podcast team. Thanks again to Puma for supporting us. We are proud to be sponsored by a local Boulder-based sports nutrition company that we all know and love, Scratch Labs. As you may know, last year I went to their facility here in Boulder and got a sweat test done. They were able to tell me how much salt I'm losing during a workout and recommend sports nutrition from there. Long story short, I'm a salty sweater and need to replenish perhaps more than the average person. But that's not all. About a year ago, I started working with sports dietitian Kylie Van Horn. Kylie is the owner of Fly Nutrition and a coach within Microcosm. I was having a lot of GI issues pre-run and during the run, so David, my coach, suggested I work on nutrition with Kylie. I switched my nutrition pre-run to purely liquid fueling, and while that didn't solve 100% of what I'd been dealing with, it sure has helped. Fast forward a year and more, and Scratch's products have helped kept me fueled and energized through plenty of strong workouts and long runs, as well as some big adventure days in the mountains. Their super high carb mix is exactly that. It's full of what you need and goes down super smooth. When you give your body what it needs, you'll truly enjoy it for the long run. You can grab energy bars, chews, hydration mix, recovery drink mix, and super high carb drink mixes for your big days from scratch to fuel your training and upcoming adventures. I use the lemon lime super high carb mix every single day. I use a half serving within an hour of all morning runs, and it's my main fuel source for road long runs. For trail adventures, I use a couple servings in my bottles and supplement that with the chews or other fun trail snacks. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off your order at the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Scratch for supporting the show. Okay, so today is June 23rd, June 24th, and it's 4.30 in the morning on race day. What's going through your head? Hopefully I'm very excited. I find I definitely do best before races when I'm really jazzed up, really energized, listening to some good music beforehand. I think thinking about what I'm eating in that last hour before the race is big, making sure I'm getting in enough food, but not too much to feel uncomfortable. I've done both and both feel horrible. Um, but I've slowly dialed that in a little bit better. Um, honestly, the the starting line's not that big of a deal for me because, and I like to keep it that way because the race is so long. And I remind myself this in a hundred Ks is there's no point in really getting jazzed up too jazzed up or too jittery at the starting line, because it doesn't matter. You have so many miles to warm up so many miles to get in your groove. So hopefully I'll be excited talking to my friends, but hopefully not really thinking about racing at that point. And are you a fan of ultra running yourself? Yes. 
more honestly a fan of the women's side of ultra running. I honestly don't know much about the men's side. <laughs> so what is it going to be like being on a starting line with people you're a fan of? I am so excited. I, and this goes back to- By the way, to, she's beaming right now. If you can't see from <laughs> watching on YouTube. I just like being around those people and I got like a glimpse of it on Memorial Day training, training camp, camp when yeah. a lot of those women were there. It's just so cool to have to- and for someone who I'm incredibly social, I love to meet people. I love to hear their stories. And and also it's just a treat too when the people you're meeting are awesome and interesting right. and incredibly talented. And so spending those three days of our training camp running with these other women, I was just in awe. And I just felt like I was just soaking up so much energy from them. And they all have many different side quests along with running, if that's additional jobs, if that's um, getting additional schooling, if additional businesses they run, or maybe their moms. And But they just come to every run with the same amount of energy that that I do, even though I feel like they seem to have accomplished so much more and seem to have so much more on their plate than I do. And I think that's really awesome and something to look up to. And And then just, it's a really crazy idea that that I am going to be on the same starting line as women who were the first women I followed on Instagram or followed podcasts that they were on when I first discovered the sport. Like I've been listening to their conversations and now I'm having my own conversation with them. It's such a cool thing. Who are some of those people? If I can ask that. Yeah. Uh, Courtney DeWalter, um, Katie Scheid, especially she's an East Coaster, Camille Heron. Um, I got the chance to chat with Ida and Esther, a bunch during Memorial Day camp and Katie Asmuth. Um, I mean, I could list like 20 of the women on the starting <laughs> line. Like they're all just so cool. <laughs> yeah. I went for a two hour run in Leadville with Courtney and I was just like blown away by how many questions she asked. And so many of these people are just like, just so stoked on life and that other people are interested in what they're doing and passionate about similar things. Um, Devin Yanko is another one in, mm -hmm. in that group. Devin was like one of the first people I had on this podcast and she helped me get into trail running. So it's really cool to see her back on that start line. Um, she's had some really awesome performances lately and some really hard performances lately. So hopefully um, she's got the former uh this month. Yeah, I, I do know every year at Western, of course, it's always a, a stacked field, but for some reason, and maybe this is just because I'm, you know, neck deep in it this year, but it feels like it truly is an incredible starting list. And just the achievements of these women on the starting list just blow my mind. And it it's women who've been in the sport for many years like Devin, and then women like me who are pretty new in the sport. And I think that's just so cool that we have the the new fresh blood and also the incredibly experienced um, people all on the line together. So fast forward 20 years, what are you really proud of having accomplished? I think hopefully, and this is something that since I started doing marathons has consistently been something I've been proud of is hopefully getting more people into running and getting them into running in a healthy way. I have a lot of friends and other people who know me reach out to me asking for advice on training for their first half marathon, for their first marathon or advice on what trails she used to buy if they want to explore trails. And so just continuing to have those conversations and getting as many people excited about it as possible and helping people make it accessible for themselves as easily as possible. Um, I think that 
is hopefully something that I continue to do for a long time because I mean, I've, it's amplified here in Boulder, but it's so cool that I go out for a long run on the weekend and I'm running with a group of like 10 people. Yeah. And so, and that's unique to Boulder, but how cool would that be if that's everywhere you go, you know, maybe even back in New Hampshire and you can gather a group of 10 or so people to all go run together. So more people in the sport would always be awesome. Agreed. Um, maybe a podcast one day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so besides the, the group long runs of 10 plus people on the trails, what, what brought you to Boulder? It was actually the climbing and the skiing mainly. Um, I, I love being outside, um, but I wanted more access to the outdoors um, a little more easily without driving three plus hours to New Hampshire on the weekends. And running was definitely also in there, though I was mainly a road runner who explored the White Mountains a bit before moving out here. Um, but was totally fine with running on the roads. Like yeah. I, I still love road runs. I think they're great. I think it's a great way to kind of mentally shut off. And I didn't really expect for it, the trails here to become such a crucial part of my life. And then I started running with the Rocky Mountain Runners here in Boulder and that changed everything. And now I haven't done a road long run in months. <laughs> Even through the winter? Yep. Lion's Lair stays very dry. Oh, really? I did get very sick of Lion's Lair, but it's, it's dry. <laughs> Lion's Lair is a great place. Um, so you'd go up and down on the same side. Yeah, I hate going down the other sides or up the other sides. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, what, four miles one way and one and a half the other, but you, yep. <laughs> you gain and lose the same amount. Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly technical on the other side. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, you need three points of contact, sometimes four. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, so lots of lion's lair. Uh, awesome. That was the first trail I did a workout on in Boulder. It's the best trail in Boulder. Um, it is the best trail in Boulder, but when I did it, I parked all the way up at the top and started my workout from like straight in. Uh, I was like, okay, apparently you're supposed to run from the bottom. But anyway, um, yeah, you and Abby Levine spend all the time on on Sunitas. Um, so you're 100K into Western states. We're jumping all over the place here. Mm -hmm. um, you're 100K into Western states. Is that the longest you've ever run? 65 miles is the longest because never summer is not an 100k it's like 102k um so yeah 65 miles would be the longest i've ever run so three miles after passing forest hill you're at the longest you've ever run talk to me about that feeling and i asked that question because i've had like a very visceral experience of that um, being on the north side of the grand canyon looking back and saying, wow, I just ran for seven hours. That's my longest run ever. <laughs> let's do it again <laughs> in the same day. Yeah, let's turn around. <laughs> let's turn around and double it. Um, so you're going to be doing another 35 miles after your longest run ever. How are you, are you thinking about that? What, what are you, do you envision that that's going to be something you'll, you'll think about or is that you'll just figure it out when you get there? I'll definitely think about it. Um, I like internalizing those little arbitrary life achievements. And it's definitely something that's been on my mind a bit, but I've tried not to worry about it. I've tried to trust my coach's training. She's trained many, many people for a hundred miles. Very successfully. One, yeah. And this one specifically too. So I think the Roaches are like the Western States coach. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. They have so many athletes on the starting line every year. And so many winning winners. Yeah. Yeah. They're not just lining up right. like they're in the top 10. Yeah. <laughs> winning. Yep. It's, it's wild. Um, so definitely 
I'm going in with a lot of confidence yeah. because of Megan's training program. Yeah. And there's just no point in really worrying about it besides that. It's just going to stress me out. But I honestly think that on race day, when I hit mile 66, it'll, as long as everything's feeling good, it'll feel very empowering to get to that point. Cause at that point you kind of hit no man's land of, you've no idea what your body's going to do, but also how awesome yeah. like that your body is getting to this point and it could shift into a whole new year that you've never seen before. That's That was my feeling with it, where I got to the North Rim, I ate a bunch of snacks, and I was like, let's go play in a let's place I've never been. Do. Yeah. And I got happy legs like 10 miles later. And I was like, I've never experienced this. I love that term, happy legs. That's great. <laughs> we were like 50K in and I was running 730s. And I was like, whoa what's what's happening right now and yeah. of course then i crashed because we had to go back up but um it was it's such a like the feeling of unknown how often do we get that in our life and so before my pr marathon i was privileged enough to have a conversation with shalane flanagan about like racing marathons and right take a lot of notes i took a <laughs> lot of notes and one of the things she said was I never feel more alive than I feel when racing. And she talked about this like poking out past the the line of the known and just like peering off into the well and and not diving in, but just going far enough that you're on the edge. And that's like, that's where living happens. When, when you don't really know what's going to happen, but you really want to find out what's going to happen. Yeah, I love that way of thinking about it. Yeah, just being on on the cusp of something that yeah. could be amazing. And being on the on that edge is amazing, but like then continuing to remain on that edge versus like you talked about at any point you can DNF and nobody really cares. And your family will love you, your people around you like that's all they care about your happiness versus your position in the race. And there's something so empowering about saying, no, I'm not going to stop now. And I'm going to keep pushing through this unknown. And it's like so cool that we get to do this in the sandbox of running. Yeah. And it's especially like what Shalane said about racing specifically is even if you're not doing a distance that's new for you, you're of course going to be pushed by the people around you. Maybe right. you're going for a new time or maybe just pushing your body the best that it can do that day. And that's something so special that racing does. It just drives you from a competitive standpoint that you're going to get the best out of you for that day. And that's a, a different kind of unknown. For sure. So if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh, cool, I'm going to be at Western States and I can't wait to see Meg out there. What should they say to you? Oh, man. Um, I mean, go Megmo is always a good one. <laughs> um I, I like a lot of positive encouragement. I like a lot of jokes. Yeah, anything that keeps things positive and, you know, showing, you're showing me how excited you are is going to get me excited. Cool. That is the sound of the GoPro not being excited anymore. It's angry. Because it's decided to overheat and shut off. <laughs> we were worried about Alfie making noise. It's the we GoPro were, barking. We were worried about <laughs> Alfie making noise, but the GoPro needs more heat training. <laughs> Um, yeah, the this uh, the setup is great because the microphones continue recording, and then the GoPro dies, and eventually this other the Sony camera will die too. Okay, so you have a lot of yeah. backup levels. Well, we have plenty of backups. The first episode I did in here, um, it wasn't recording through the microphones. Both cameras died, and I was like, 
I don't know what to do. This is not great. I, I don't know how to work that or? problem. Um, we got most of it out of one of the cameras. Okay. But like most of the gold was um, lost oh, man. in the last five minutes. It makes it even more gold. You don't know what it was. And nobody's ever going to yeah. hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you What are you most excited about for, not for Western States, but the next couple of years of racing? I think doing as many of these big bucket list races as possible. Um, obviously Western this year is on the forefront of my mind. I'd love to be on the world's team at some point. Uh, UTMB is definitely on my radar though. I don't, I want to really show up to UTMB. I don't want to just participate in it. And I don't think I have the climbing legs quite ready for it yet. So I think I'm going to wait on that one a little bit, but another thousand laps of lion's lair, maybe. I think it needs to be steeper. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bring a Stairmaster on Lion's Lair. That's true. Just the first section after the steps. Oh, yeah. That's brutal. <laughs> it's so steep. Um, so that's that's on the radar for a couple of years. But honestly, the the main part I love about running and what's so great about Colorado is doing big, long-day adventure runs. And that's my main goal for the rest of the summer, yeah. just to do as many of those as possible and get as many friends to join me on those. So hopefully the next couple of years are bookended with those big bucket list races, but also sprinkled in with the fun adventure runs. That's the best. I mean, we're in this like playground of adventures and like, I want to do Pawnee Buchanan and like all these things out here that are so fun. And I feel like that's a really sustainable way to just, I mean, you'll, you'll have fun. And also that's a great training stimulus. And we're just like staring down summer and big days in the mountains. Um, that may, leads me to another question that I'm always curious about. What does success mean to you? I think there's kind of two ways that I see that question. I think achieving the more concrete goals that I want to achieve, um, like competing well at Western, making the world's team, um, hopefully at one point competing successfully at UTMB as well. I think those are definitions of success for me um, because my second definition is I'm sure one that people say all the time, like just, just being happy, but also being happy in a way where you're continuing to challenge yourself too. That's something that's always yeah. been a core aspect of my personality is I, I need to be always finding ways to, to push myself and try new things and see how good at something I can get. And so I think that's something that's always going to exist in my life. And why I, do you, why do you think so? I I don't know. It's it's never something that was externally forced on me. I don't yeah. know if that's the right word. Um, my parents were always supportive of me, but never applied any external pressure. Um, same with my teachers and coaches. It's always been this internal drive to keep challenging myself, and for better for worse. I mean, in high school that led to my voluntarily taking additional AP classes that didn't even physically fit in my schedule. But I was like, I have to take them and I have to do well in them. And now it's in transition into my career as well and wanting to achieve highly and get promoted quickly in my career. And also to achieve high, um, to make it to competitive races in this sport. Um, yeah, that's, and I've gone through phases of my life where I haven't been challenged and I get incredibly bored and I don't feel like I'm squeezing enough out of life at that point. But I don't really know where it comes from. 
do you often or do you ever intentionally pull back or just like um how do I phrase it like I don't say like chill but take periods where you're not gas pedal down I've started to do that more intentionally in the last year as I've noticed if I don't do that intentionally yeah. then it gets forced on you Yeah at a time that you're not you don't want it um so that especially in this kind of like the 6 weeks leading up to this race I've been really conscious of when my bot when I'm tired or maybe mentally not excited for something and allowing myself to to not do it I still am forcing myself to show up for my runs and to complete my workouts as hard as I can but maybe if I'm not really feel like going climbing, even though I told a friend I would go climbing that day, maybe I just don't. And where normally I, I would make myself go climbing. Um, and then if I have no plans for an evening, instead of texting everyone I know to try to come up with plans, like maybe I'll just sit in and watch a movie and just take this in or go for a walk. Um, but yeah, being more intentional about also planning that into my recovery process. And um, I find that honestly, Boulder's, a tough place for me to recover after a week after races because there's so much going on. There's so much to do. It is a playground and all my friends are, are out doing various athletic activities all the time. And especially it also being a place where I was actually doing my training. I find that mentally is a little hard for me to relax in that sense. So I think now I, I purposely plan like the week after races to, to go somewhere else, maybe go back to my parents my parents are very good at relaxing <laughs> in contrary to me. They're very good at sitting down and sitting on the couch and they love their good chill beach vacation. So being in that environment is very good for me too. Cause I, I find that kind of trickles down to me and then I find myself relaxing more when others around me are doing that as well. It's such a, a good uh, self-awareness that like, you know, that the best way to recover is to not be in a place like this where it's like, oh, hey, want to hang out today? Let's go for a, a hike up a 14er. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I, and of course you're going to want to say yes. Right. And maybe you are saying yes. And then, and then your body's just so, so drained. So yeah, that was, I mean, I learned it the hard way, but now I've been actively implementing that into my 2023 race schedule is okay. You're racing. That means you have to plan in rest time afterwards. Cool. So this gets released. You run an amazing race and the next week you're laid up on a beach in New England. Is that, that, that's how it goes? Yeah, I'm actually going, I went to a school up in upstate New York. And so for the 4th of July, my girlfriends from college and I are going up to the lake up there. Nice. We have a house right on the lake. And so I'll be sitting in a kayak with my feet up for a couple of days. Do they all run as much as you? No, no. I actually didn't have friends who ran until I moved to Boulder. Wow. I mean, they, they're all very active yeah. people, um, but they probably run like a, once or so a week. So what are they going to think about the fact that like your feet look disgusting and that you won't be able to they're get up off the couch? They're very used to my looking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that is not new but for them. Wearing, oh, not wearing socks. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah they're kind of gross. They're pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> you should get some of these darn tough socks. I actually, yeah, I'm sponsored by darn tough and I love them. <laughs> um, yeah, I have gross feet. It's not new news. <laughs> um, but no, they... They know me well. They know this has always been a part of my personality and something that I do. And it's it's cute. They they do their best to keep up with the sport. They ask me a lot of questions about it. They um, watch the live streams. They keep up to the best of their ability. But I do feel like 
when they talk about their college friend group, they're like, oh yeah, all my girlfriends. And then, yeah, we have this one of us who just like moved to Colorado and just won't stop running. (laughs) She's probably running right now. (laughs) And she never showers. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Well, Meg, this has been a blast. I can't wait to cheer you on out there. And uh, You said you're going to be out there? Yeah. It'll be so fun. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I wouldn't miss it. I'd say I wouldn't miss it for the world, but I missed it once for my one of my best friend's weddings. So, Okay, well, that just means your friend means the world to you. There you go. There you Shout go. out to Jeremy. <laughs> it was a fun day. It was 100 degrees in Manhattan. It was actually horrible. Wow, that sounds worse than 100 degrees in the canyons, actually. <laughs> the humidity, yeah. Oh, man. So we'll see you out there. Uh, for those who don't follow you yet, where can we find you on your corner of the internet? I'm on Instagram at GoMegmo and Strava at Meg Morgan. If you want some good laughs on Strava, definitely toss me the follow. There we go. <laughs> That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 